Welcome back to the Change Your Filter podcast. I'm your host, Tall Paul. Today's guest is Ben Hubbard. Ben is a former United States Air Force combat controller who served 12 years in active duty. Shortly after transitioning to civilian life, Ben started Champion AC in San Antonio, Texas, one of the largest and fastest growing businesses in Texas before being acquired in 2020. But before we get into today's podcast, go Google Combat Controller United States Air Force or go to airforce.com and read about the training, the qualifications, and the types of missions executed by combat controllers. I was blown away at what Ben experienced during his time of service. On behalf of our listeners and fellow citizens, I'd like to thank Ben for his service to our country, his investment in our freedom and safety, for his time today and his contributions to our industry at home. Please enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Ben Hubbard. Hey, this is Ben Hubbard, and you are listening to the Change Your Filter podcast with Tall Paul. Ben, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Paul. How are you today? I am doing well. I have to admit, uh, one, I'm very entertained from just our first few moments off air talking, but I'm actually overwhelmed at the depth and the breadth of the material I want to cover with you today. So I, just in a few uh, you know, moments of getting to know you before this conversation, there's so many things I want to talk about. But thank you for doing this and thank you for your time. No, I appreciate it. And as we had mentioned, like we kind of feel like we know each other, like we might have bumped into each other along the way somewhere. But we'll, we'll remedy that in the future. Uh, I'll get to shake your hand one of these days. Awesome. And we may find out through the course of this conversation that we have met as we get to know your story a little bit more. So um, for our listeners who've never met you before and for some context, um, tell us your story. Um, We've got a lot of things to go through, but where are you from? Where did you grow up and how do we get to where you are today? So I was born and raised in Gulfport, Mississippi, Uh, born in 1978. I'm 43 years old ended up joining the Air Force in 97. Um, And back then, there wasn't like the internet hadn't evolved to where they had all the recruiting videos. And um, I had come across uh, combat control, which is special operations in the Air Force. Um, I looked at pararescue combat control. I was interested in, in Navy SEALs as well. And back then, when you showed any interest in joining the military, like the Marine recruiters were on you in like full court press, Army to a lesser degree. Um, and, and I stumbled into the Air Force recruiter one day and showed interest. He gave me the ASVAB and then I told him what I wanted to do. I wanted to try something in the kind of elite spec ops world. And he immediately told me, you're not going to make it. Whereas I had the Marines, the Army, they were all over me. And this guy played hard to get, told me I wasn't going to make it. And it was like, he got me. So I said, sign me up. Um, I want to I wanna prove you wrong. You know, my ego was like, could fill this room. Um, and so, yeah, I, I enlisted and joined the Air Force. Um, ended up going through the what's called the pipeline to become a, a combat controller. Um, served for 12 years active duty as a combat controller. Um, got out, started an air conditioning company, 
a few years later, started a digital marketing company and uh, married with a daughter, love and life and here with you today. Thank you so much. And listeners, now you can see why I've got so much to cover from his service in the military to starting an HVAC company to starting a digital marketing company. We've got a lot to go through. So I want to go back to your military time. You mentioned being a combat controller. Can you give the listeners some context about what a combat controller does and what are some experiences you had? Yeah, absolutely. So combat controllers, um, we're kind of under the radar, as people like to call secret squirrels, but we're air traffic control qualified ground combatants. Um, so our primary job is to move into enemy territory um, undetected and to use close air support, communicate with fighter aircraft, attack helicopters. Uh, we use uh, like Predator drones as the ISR platform surveillance. And uh, our job is to take out enemy targets. Um, we also specialize in airfield seizures. So we go into enemy countries, take over actual airports down to dry lake beds and use them for our purpose, set up airfields, bring in the battlefield. And our motto is first there because we're typically the first, we're the first soldiers in the area of operations. So we get in there early, find enemy targets and uh, set up those lines of communication. Um, we work with other special ops uh, forces such as uh, SF, Army SF, Navy SEALs. We work with our NATO allies, coalition forces around the globe. Um, I worked with really all of, I worked with the Army. I worked with the Navy SEAL Team 8. Um, worked with Lithuanians. I worked with Norwegians. Um, got to really experience the full gambit of the combat control career field. As mentioned, I joined in 97. Um, so I was, had my beret and on an operational team when 9-11 happened. Ended up doing multiple deployments to Afghanistan and got to, got to do the job. Talk to me about if you're comfortable with this about doing the job. Are there particular missions that are memorable that you're comfortable sharing or things you think back on that you're fond of or? So outside of the deployments, the training, I mean, it was a lot of fun because we get to utilize the different infiltration techniques associated with SOF. So I went to combat dive school, um, got to the scuba dive and they made it as miserable as possible and, and as challenging as possible, but it was so much fun. Um, and I still enjoy diving today. Um, same thing, skydiving um, started out and you go through jump school at Fort Benning, Georgia. Then you advance to Halo, which is high altitude, low opening parachuting. Um, and then overland, the, the most challenging way, you know, good old legs, humping, you know, 100 pound rucks in the mountains. Um, but, you know, the training was was always a lot of fun, but we made it challenging and pushed each other so we would be ready for most situations on the battlefield. And, uh, you know, I did I did several deployments where I don't want to go into details, but I, I really did get to do the job as far as taking over airfields. I was with the team that 
that took over Kandahar Airfield. So I was I was one of the early combat controllers in um, first deployment, doing mostly air traffic control type work, and then my later deployments, I was I was a JTAC, which is Joint Terminal Attack Control, calling in airstrikes and and doing more of the you know secret squirrel type stuff and um, taking out enemy targets. You seem like a very humble person and uh, modest, but can you describe what a bronze star is? Well, that wasn't always the case. I used to be the loudest guy in the room. Um, my ego was not my amigo. You know, I was, I would tell you how wonderful I was looking back on my career. I was JV at best. I mean, I worked with some legends, but yeah, so I, I did receive uh, a couple of bronze star medals um, and they're, they're awarded for um, service on the battlefield. Um, typically when you're out doing the job and, and you execute the job properly, you win different awards. And, and I think when I was in Afghanistan, they were a little bit more liberal with the way that they would give out medals. And, and so I think had I served later, um, and when I say later, uh, 2006 through, you know, just a couple of years ago, it had been much, much tougher to win some of the awards that, that I was awarded um, because the, the dynamics of the battlefield changed. Right. Um, the enemy really dug in. Um, when I went in, they were on the run. And so we got to kind of chase people around a little bit more. And uh, it, it shifted and later I became an instructor and got to put a lot of students through the pipeline. And what those guys went through in Afghanistan was very different than my experience there. And uh, I'm always humbled by uh, reading their stories and learning about what, what some of those guys did. Uh, but I, I was just a, a young guy out there trying to figure it out and fortunately worked around some really smart, really good soldiers that, that took me under their wing and, and helped lift me up. Can you describe some of the key differences of the later stage of the war, if you're comfortable with it? Well, I wasn't there. So yeah. there, there were a lot more IEDs and a lot more um, Afghan military force AMF guys that would turn on us. Right. And so when I was there, it was a lot, a lot of the interpreters were really on our team and there, there was a lot less of a threat. And so the, I feel the threat level skyrocketed later in the war. And so there, I think the intensity of the job really picked up. The technology changed. There was just a lot more asked of combat controllers later than there was early, in my opinion. I, you know, everyone has a different experience there that served. Um, but that's, that's from my vantage point, my perspective. I think I would have had a much tougher time had it been later because I was never the best guy on the team. I, I like to think I was and I would tell myself I was and I kind of had that Mamba mentality in a way like I would work just relentlessly. But I worked around guys that were unreal shots. They were they could do everything better than me. And and so. I knew I wasn't the best professional soldier, if you will. Um, so, but yeah, it was a much different war. It evolved quite a bit and the deployment cycles 
became a much, much harder grind, if you will. Well, on behalf of all listeners, one, thank you for sharing. And two, I don't want to go much further without saying thank you for your service, that it is a real honor to have this conversation with you. So thank you. Appreciate it. So before I ask the next question, you just mentioned Mamba Mentality. You're talking about Kobe Bryant. That is the one book I keep on my desk and it's right under my keyboard um, and my monitor. For those who are Kobe Bryant fans, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Talk to me about the transition to civilian life. So you did 10, 10 and a half years in the military. What was the transition like? Describe that as much as you can. Yeah. So, man, that that transition, that was it was kind of a blur. Um, at some point along the way, I, I always knew I was an entrepreneur. I had an entrepreneurial spirit ever since I was a kid. I sold candy, trapper keepers, anything I could sell to make money. I was huge into sports cards as well. I mean, I was, I mean, when I, when I joined the military, I sold my collection of football, baseball, basketball cards, and I made like over 20, 20 grand. Oh, that's serious pretty serious collection. I had a Jordan rookie and a lot of other pretty awesome cards. Um, but that transition was an interesting time because we were actually similar to where we are economically now in 07. The housing crisis had just kind of kicked in. Um, I initially wanted to get in the solar industry, kind of was working with a team that was, I'd learned very you know, early on, fortunately, that they, it was not what I had hoped it was. I wanted to make a difference. I I really saw the potential in the solar industry for reducing the demands on our grid. And I saw how Europeans kind of looked at us being that we were, you know, relatively a small country in the world to use 25% of the world's energy. Um, They, I, I learned little things like that, working with some some NATO forces. Um, and, and so I, I kind of had that idea. Let me, let me go make a difference. And fortunately I pivoted into HVAC, um, something that, that customers really needed in San Antonio. I started studying that industry and, uh, you know, I would say that transition was, it was difficult at first because the learning curve was pretty steep for business taxes and they're in just a new industry, the mechanics of HVAC. But I had such a, a good work ethic. I in my I just tricked myself into believing like I'm gonna do this. Like I can do it. If any if they can do it, I can do it. And so I just outworked everyone. And um, you know, I, I had trouble sleeping in those early years because I had so many ideas. I didn't really know how to rest. So that was probably the hardest transition part to me, some PTSD from insomnia. But it it also gave me an edge where instead of laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, I would get up and work. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something you just said, but I want to revisit something you said about how Europeans viewed Americans. Can you share some more perspective on on what your observations are there i want to I make sure i i do them justice because they they loved us i mean it was i think we did a lot for our nato allies then and and still today and and they were always very appreciative but being a young man from 
Mississippi, I didn't understand the context of geopolitics, the world, the energy consumption, and they were a lot more knowledgeable on European history. I mean, even it blew me away how the majority of them spoke three to five languages were brilliant. I mean, I can barely speak English. Um, so they would give me little nuggets of information. And, and when I had heard that we use 25% of the world's energy, I was like, man, that, that just kind of seems weird. How can we, maybe that's a, a business idea. And so, but I, I would say that they were all very welcoming they loved having a JTAC on their team because of what we brought to the fight. And uh, I still keep in touch with a lot of those guys today. Oh, that's great. So you then talk about learning HVAC and not being able to sleep and outworking people. Did you immediately start your own business or what was your entry into the trade? Yeah, I started Champion AC out of my garage. I pivoted hard into it and just said, always viewed like time is is very important and i've got to maximize my time and so i didn't want to waste it i knew i wanted to get into something in the trades in the home service space and got into the hvac industry and didn't look back what were some of those early days like first couple of years and what, and what year was this by the way this was in, I decided to get into the AC industry in, in 06 and actually launched Champion AC in early 2007. Got it. Yeah. Talk to me about those first couple of years. Yeah. So it was just kind of learning um, the industry, uh, recruiting, finding a team, door to door, door hangers, uh, identifying different ways of of creating opportunities, I found that I was really good at recruiting. Um, I could connect with people, communicate well, um, share my vision and, and get people to, to see it and believe it. And so I would, I would really listen to them and understand their needs. I've always appreciated the servant leaders that I worked under. And so I, I tried to study that, learn what that meant, how to incorporate those you know, those leadership traits into my arsenal. Um, but the thing I heard over and over was you just go out and make the phone ring, just make the phone ring and we'll do the rest. And I've always believed if you hire the right people and get out of their way, that's just a recipe for success. So I, I kept hearing that recurring theme, like, Hey, you got to make the phone ring. That should be your job. And so I, I took it to heart and I studied it and lived it and made it happen. So what were some of those tactics early along that you did to make sure that you had the volume, you had the phone calls and the demand to hire the right talent? Well, I, I kind of looked at the marketing world for what it was, and I, I studied our competition early and saw that the majority were, were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at the phone book back then. And I knew I couldn't compete there. Um, I had lived uh, in Tacoma, Washington, near Seattle. I used to spend a lot of time in Seattle and I was using search engines for everything. So I started looking and studying the you know, web development, search engine optimization piece and decided to, to make that our differentiator, our um, focus. 
I knew I couldn't compete on TV, radio, phone book at that time. We didn't have the budget. I didn't come from money. It was literally just an absolute hustle to get it to where, you know, I could even, you know, hire our first few guys and and get those first few trucks. And so I I really studied the SEO side and, and found that most of our competitors weren't there. And... I went all in. What were the milestones along the way as you grew the company from your garage to, and, and you'll tell us shortly where you ended up and, and what ended up happening. But when you think about what were those pivotal moments, the milestones, or what were the valleys? What were those dark moments of leading champion? Oh man, I had so many. Yeah, we'll start there. We'll start with some of the the dark times because I think a lot of people they want to tell you all the you know rainbows and fairy tales and and it's all it's all fun and games, but it was it was a lot of pain and suffering, not really knowing how to hire the right people in the early days. Um, I thought I was a good sense and judge of character. But you, you give people chances and you want to see the best in people. And I'm a, an eternal optimist. I'm a visionary. I'm, I'm not an integrator, you know. And so I was never that pessimist. So I would meet people. And, and I think I hired too quick in those early days. And, and I got taken advantage of numerous times. And it was painful. It was very painful because it, it would sometimes affect the good people. And so it, it was tough balancing the budget and, you know, when there's someone stealing from you and, and doing side jobs and I had no real way of, of confirming it until it was too late, um, it, it hurt. And those, those moments really helped define me and helped me dig out of a hole. I mean, there was, there was one point in 2008 where I was on the verge of not making payroll and I made a couple of calls to family members and asked for a small loan to just help get through it. I mean, even to the point where I was going to, I offered equity in the company and wow. everyone shot me down. Oh boy. Everyone shot me down and being in the military, uh, a lot of the guys on my team, we, all purchase Rolex watches. Yeah. And it was kind of like a life insurance thing when you're overseas deployed, everyone knows what a Rolex is in the world and and you can use it as a bargaining chip when you're in a tight spot. And so I ended up looking at that watch that I wore on every deployment. I hated to part with it, but um, ended up selling it for more than I bought it for, made payroll and never looked back. Unbelievable. So would you call that the darkest moment a champion or were there other moments that were equally as difficult? There were that that was a tough moment. And it's tough for me to quantify which were the the tougher moments, because I think there was a lot, you know, personally that you go through in time. So whether it's, you know, something about me and my personal life, or if it's a, a real a challenge organizationally. Um, I think those lines get crossed a bit. Yeah. 
but I, w- I would definitely say that was one of the, the toughest moments um, for sure. What about on the kind of breakthrough side? When did things start to get easier? When did it seem like there was a little bit of wind in your sails? So it was, I believe, 2011. And I had been working with a PR firm locally and our my rep kept telling me, hey, I need you to meet my boyfriend. I need you to meet my boyfriend. He works for a digital agency in, in New Braunfels, which is like 45 minutes north of San Antonio. And I was like, sure, you know, I would hear that. Like my boyfriend, my neighbor's roommate, blah, 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 whatever. Sure. Yeah. And so we went and had lunch at Rudy's, which I'm not sure if you've been to Rudy's here, but Rudy's barbecue, you know, they have the goodies. Absolutely. With the big lunch tray you roll through the, the line with. Oh yeah, with that cream yep. corn, it's just they've they've oh, got yeah. it wired tight there. I mean, it's, it's the real deal. It's the good stuff. So we met at Rudy's, and his name is Aaron Waters, and he just he just lit the room up. I mean, I, I one I I loved that we were very different. Um, I was always that like I'd mentioned, like that happy, motivated, and I mean, people say I'm pretty intense. And he was a lot more reserved, but equally intense in a different way. And his knowledge of the digital industry um, really uh, helped build and establish a lot of faith and trust. And when I hired Aaron to get on the uh, to start at Lead Hub, it allowed me to focus back exclusively on champion. And I wasn't kind of working both sides, splitting my time 50-50. And that guy just lifted me up from day one and put me on his shoulders and was the ultimate team player and has just made me better every day since I met him. Now, you mentioned having him run Lead Hub at this point. So in 2008, 9, 10, you decided to launch a digital marketing company. Tell me about that. So... Early on, this was heck, 07, um, trying to find a, a web development company, digital agencies that, that knew what they were doing. I mean, it, it was tough. There weren't many. Um, and the ones that were, you know, marketing and the ones that were out there operating were not very, uh, I would say, transparent. Uh, they weren't honorable. Um, in fact, we got taken advantage of several times and, and I found that because I had put a lot of work in studying SEO and, and learning about it, um, I knew more than most of the companies that I was hiring. And so in 2010, I started getting a lot of calls because we were ranking very well. And early on, I mean, it, it was kind of a jackpot moment like we we ranked top of the search engines we we basically dominated one and two i made review acquisition our team's priority for our marketing and and uh just customer service was was at the forefront of every conversation i had with our team and um yeah we i started getting calls from other local companies in the trades and they asked what I was doing. And 
a few had kind of proposed like, Hey, I'd hire you. Would you be interested in, in doing it for me? And the light bulb went off and, and there was my ego again, like, yeah, I could do this and do that and I can do it all. Um, sure. and, and that's how Lead Hub was born. So talk to me about, you mentioned um, that marketing companies were taking advantage of you or taking advantage of others. It seems like one of the common messages around marketing companies today, even 10, 12 years later is your marketing company is taking advantage of you and they're not being truthful and they're wasting your money and, and we won't do that. Talk to me about how marketing companies, particularly digital marketing companies take advantage of contractors today. Describe that if you will. So one of the big things I think in the HVAC and the trades is that's really important is responsiveness. And when you have a marketing company that's supposed to be your partner and they don't get back to you when you have a legitimate concern, if let's say a client is or a plumbing company is running an AdWords campaign that's um, being improperly run, their, their offers are wrong, it's targeting the wrong areas, there, there could be a, a million different issues and and this plumbing company is reaching out to their agency and they're not following up, they're not making it right, and they just keep spending their money. Um, that That's one of the things that I would see, just that lack of responsiveness, lack of attention, and, and also lack of the operational experience. Um, it's one thing to, to know how to market for attorneys or hospitals or you know, HVAC companies, plumbing companies, and it's really tough to do it all. Well, it really is. Um, and if you don't understand the software the client's using, if you don't understand the number of trucks they have, the number of technicians, the type of calls they want, and really understand that company, that organization on a personal level, it's tough to market for them. Right. You know, there's so many different forks in the road that we can take right now, but I want to go back to 2011. So you hire Aaron. He's now leading Lead Hub. You're leading champion. That was 10 or 11 years ago. What happened over the last 10 years that's been notable? Yeah, so we we really took off. Um, we we were able to we I believe when Aaron started, we, we were probably at that three million dollar mark. So I mean, that was pretty incredible then to get up to that level and kind of plateau. Um, and, and so I, I think because I was bouncing back and forth and giving them kind of equal time, um, I wasn't able to dial in on champion and really overcome some of the obstacles and, and, and those constraints that we were uh, dealing with. I was able to really focus in on, on getting back to the fundamentals, the hiring the right people, scaling, updating a lot of our, even our logo, our branding. Um, and he was so brilliant at everything. I mean, he was not only working on Lead Hub. I mean, he was working probably 50% of his time on Champion as well. We incorporated a software called Culture Index, which is a personality test similar to disc in a way, but it tracks more uh, things. It, it tracks autonomy, social ability, your pace, patient, conformity, energy units, 
Um, it, it also tracks your ingenuity and logic. And we found that um, when we, we started using that during the recruiting process and the interview process, we could weed out the, the people that weren't going to be a fit yeah. much better. And so I was wasting less time hiring the wrong people. And that was that next leg up. What are some examples of that process as you went through and, and uh, were able to weed out different things? Like what are some examples of like people or types of people or profiles of people that you were able to bring onto the team as a result of that? Oh yeah. I mean, so we, we, over time, as you get more data, you understand the personality profiles that work really well as a technician, as a CSR, as a comfort advisor, as a tech in the field, um, and even as management. Um, but when you're in an interview with someone, they really, oftentimes they'll just tell you what you want to hear, especially if they're the wrong person, they're not going to be honest. And so what we would do is we would use our data and use this system to ask questions that we knew about them. And if they were honest and it fit the C job type is what it's called, then that was a high probability candidate. And, and so we, you know, one thing that I used to do was I'd make technician, you know, candidates that were wanted to be become techs, I'd make them just go pull a ladder off a truck and set it up and climb on a roof and just do basic things. And it, it was, it was pretty comical. I mean, there were, there were some guys that couldn't even get the ladder down. And, and so being able to avoid those pitfalls, I think really helped us tremendously. I'm laughing, trying to picture myself like fully capable of reaching the ladder, not capable of figuring out how it's harnessed to the truck or how to balance it getting down. You would have weeded me out really quickly. I would have been in the call center. Well, you seem to be the type of person that hones in on what you're good at and, and you appear to be in the right spot doing what you're doing. So I, I don't see you applying to become a tech or an installer, especially not an installer. I don't think a six, nine installer in, in Texas would do well in these attics. Not well, you know, there was a period of time early, early in my career where I considered uh, going to technical school just to build some um, not authority. That's not the word I'm looking for, but I guess maybe some street cred in the industry. And I didn't do it. I, deal, I dialed into the things that I could bring that were natural and, and brought value. But um, what areas of the military and your training in the military prepared you most for leading a business or where were you underprepared? Yeah. So I think I was most prepared on the discipline side of things. Um, the being in the military, I mean, we got, we got discipline just crammed down our throats. You know, it was, you had to be, especially in, in spec ops. Um, it, there was no option there. Um, the importance of being consistent on time. And I think just having that never quit attitude was, right. was a big part of it for me. Cause there were many times along the way where, you know, that devil on my shoulder was like, you could just quit. You can go. I mean, I had other opportunities. I could have gone and gotten other jobs. I could have been a defense contractor making, you know, a couple of hundred grand a year going down range, you know, flying drones, whatever. I mean, I could have taken the easy route. 
Right. But I, my dream was to be a successful entrepreneur and to be a multiplier. And I, I just having that never quit mindset, I think was was a big recipe for my personal success and the military ingrained that in me. So I want to go back to talk about getting champion from 3 million to where it eventually landed. But before we do that, what are some of your daily disciplines that you use to be able to lead yourself, your organizations, your companies, your family? What are some of those? And I'll give the listeners an example. When I was talking to Ben a few weeks ago, he was on his way to get a haircut. And I jokingly said, but hey, you just got one 13 days ago. And I I was right, because you're a military guy, you get your haircut every two weeks. What are some of your daily disciplines? So every morning, I like to clear my head with a daily devotional. And I just try to do that consistently. I'd like to say I do it every night. I don't always get it done at night, but it just kind of resets me for the day. And and it fills me with gratitude because that's where I feel like when I personally feel successful, it's when I have an abundance of gratitude and I'm thankful and I have that consciousness of being thankful. When I veer away from that, I start to feel the demons. I start to feel the darkness and I, and I'm not pointed towards the light. And so when I'm doing that, when I'm focused on my health, you know, I want to feel good. I'm always a better performer. If I'm eating well, if I'm exercising consistently, um, I just, I, I work better. I'm a better person to be around. Just ask my wife, um, you know, my daughter, and, and just giving them more time also trying to be efficient with my time so I can keep those priorities in line and do the things that I want to do, maintain those priorities of work, do good things while I'm here at the office, but leave that here. Yeah. And, and then when it's time to reshift, refocus with my family, I'm not bringing work home to them. Right. I'm bringing dad, I'm bringing Ben. And so that's when I'm doing those things that that's where my life is, is just filled with, with joy and, and happiness and what I consider success. How do you recognize when you veered off of track and what are some tools you engage to get back into the light, as you mentioned? So the first thing, like the, the leading indicator for me is, is anger. That's something that I think over the years that I've I've struggled with um, temper um, when I'm not doing the things that I need to be doing, I let whether it be critics or someone cut me off in the road, whatever it is, small things. Normally, I, I let my temper go, and I and that's where I normally see that I need to reset and I need to go take care of myself and I need to to put the time back in to where I'm the person that, that I want to be and that I need to be for my team and my family. Yeah. Yeah. My, my trigger is irritability. And my test is when I get in my truck on the way home and I put on music or I have the radio on, if the initial sound annoys me, I need to reset because that will happen. Even songs I like music. I like, yeah. you know, talk shows. I like, I hear the voice and I get irritated. I know that I need to get back on track. And I guess that irritable is is the precursor to that anger too. Yeah. So I I totally with you there. Well, let's talk then about champion. So 
what then you were at 3 million and then you eventually you grew it to four and five and so on. Talk to me about what happened in the last couple of years at Champion. Well, yeah, so it, it, backing up from, from there, we had used many different softwares. We used Successware, we used Aquin, we used you know, a variety of these different dispatch softwares, accounting softwares. And, and I have to give credit to not just because of Tom Howard, because he's, he's my boy, but I, I will say Service Titan made a big impact in our business. Um, I know there's a lot of other, you know, new stuff coming out with AI and, you know, I've, I've heard several and, and we work with many, but I, I do believe that Service Titan deserves a shout out as well, because having that daily clarity in, in the ability to uh, use and leverage technology and get the entire team behind it, it really sped us up and helped us grow much faster than we would have without it. Um, and, and I hear the people that, that question the, the cost, um, and, and it's obviously not for everyone, but if you're looking to scale a business, I do think it's the best out there. And it was massive for Champion AC. So yeah, that, that was a big part of it. Then over the last few years, I think we had done enough branding over time where and built a really good reputation. We did a lot in the community. Um, we we really built a lot of good repeat business and, and a lot of friendships in the San Antonio and surrounding market where our referrals were just off the charts. Um, and we really did well on, in all places of digital, social, search engines. Um, we, we were really had an amazing team and it was all firing on all cylinders. I was in a great place. I started getting approached about selling and in 2020 we did it was like right over 17 and a half million in annual revenue and i got approached by ira pruitt well really by jamie stansel and who worked with southern air apex and i had met ira pruitt in every other company that was trying to buy us I just wasn't interested. I didn't think they aligned with my vision, with the way we operated. Uh, and I was always concerned about my team. I wanted to make sure any, if, if we ever decided to exit, everyone would win. It wouldn't just be this thing where, you know, I got to make money, sail off in the sunset. It had to be a universal good. And when I met uh, Ira Pruitt, I knew it was going to be a win for not only myself, my family, but our entire team. And it was looking back 18 months, it was a win for everyone. I want to talk, I want in a moment, I'm going to ask you to define what a win for everyone would look like. But I want to come back to what you mentioned about Ira, because I've had some friends who've been through the process of selling their business, and they ended up with the same organization you're with. Yeah. And they said that it was, they were on the fence about a certain, you know, with a certain number of companies and it was having dinner with the leaders that with their spouses that changed their mind. What is it about that group, whether it's Ira or some other folks you mentioned, what is it about them that makes people so comfortable with joining their team? So the way I viewed Ira when we met was he bleeds servant leadership. Mm -hmm. 
and it really aligned with the way that I, I like to treat people and especially my team. He is a very selfless human being. He's not in the limelight. He's not like a lot of the guys and that we'll see in, in some of these podcasts. He's very conservative, private, um, great father. I mean, he, he coached his kids. He is, I don't understand how he gets all the work done that he does. He has to be one of the most efficient human beings I've ever met. But when I saw the, his kids in the company, his boys and how good they were at their jobs too, I was just blown away. I was like, man, this guy is a legend. And, uh, he, it was a vibe thing. I mean, I, I do, I'm, I'm someone that leans on gut instinct a lot. Um, and the feeling I got from Ira and the way he communicated with me, the way he talked about his vision with Southern air and with champion, um, that alignment was what brought me peace to the deal because I didn't need to sell. I had been very conservative with my money. I had made some great investments. I didn't need to do it. Yeah. Um, I, and, and I knew he would care for the team, not the same way I did, but he really cared for the team, you know, in a different way, in his own way. And, and he's a very genuine guy. He is not all about the money. He is very, intelligent when it comes to making profit and uh, doing good business, but he is very focused on training, on servant leadership, on hiring military, hiring veterans. I mean, the, he, I believe the last GM course that they ran, there half or more of the, the class were all veterans, a lot of SF guys, special forces guys, and he's just a lot like the guy that I want to be. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned everyone on your team would win. What has that experience been like for your team and how has it been positive for them? Yeah. So everyone got a really nice bonus. You know, I got to play Santa Claus. Um, I actually, the first thing I did when I sold was I bought my mom a house, which was a, always a goal of mine. I, I always thought, you know, younger, oh, I'm going to get her an awesome car that would, she would love that. But it, that evolved to getting her a, a really nice house near me. So we yeah. could be close. How good did that feel? Sorry. Talk to me about that experience, what her perception was and, and what the emotions felt like when you were able to buy your mother a house. So I was always a really big work done fan. And I saw the work he did buying, you know, a lot of single moms homes over the years. And uh, it always inspired me to, to do good things in the community. And heck, single moms lift this country up. You know, there, there are so many women out there that, that have to play both parts, have to be the mom and dad, um, work and do a lot of hard work and don't always get the, the uh, accolades that they deserve. And so being able to do that for my mom when she was everything to us. I mean, I, I wouldn't be here without her sacrifices. Um, it, it meant a lot to me, um, for sure. Um, I, I wanted her to have a nice, comfortable, easy life. Um, you know, I would see 
women that, that had a great life. And I was always like, oh man, I, I hope I can do that for my mom one day. I hope one day my mom has easy street and, uh, and, and being able to be a part of that for her, um, is, it just, it does mean a lot to me, but it's, uh, it's what I should do and it's what I should have done. It was, and it was my priority and I did it. Um, but with the team, um, there were a lot of promotions. We, we had a very talented team at champion and, and a lot of the team members have gone on to become management within Southern air and have grown into regional roles and service managers and in different type of management positions and spread throughout the organization. So, um, they, they really did a good job of taking care of the people and not going in and cutting and they, they really lifted them up. Now, I'd be lying if I didn't say there were hiccups. Of course there were. Um, you know, they, they paid me a, a great deal of money to, to get champion and make it more efficient. Um, I was always so zoned in on culture and vibe. I would overspend in those areas because yeah. that was me. Um, whereas they are much more into that career path and they, they're a lot more, I would say, the nuts and bolts and structure are much more secure and sound than, than what I provided. And what does your day today look like now? You're still leading lead hub. You're still involved with champion, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I am a consultant with Southern air. So I do assist them, um, and, and ensure that champion is still on the right path. I communicate with the team often and, and just kind of, and there when they need me. Um, but I've pivoted into a full-time role at lead hub. You know, it was a really volatile time after I sold champion, you go from having this purpose every day and, and my own, you know, control ability to take it and do whatever I want. I mean, I could turn on a dime. We were at 17 and a half million and I could literally turn on a dime where most companies you know, it's, as it gets bigger, it's like a big ship. It's, it's tougher to turn and avoid obstacles. Okay. So that was tough for me, giving up control. I didn't realize how, you know, how stressful and, and the darkness that would kind of bring to me. But I, I wasn't right with myself at that time. And some, some things that I had experienced in life kind of started bubbling up because I had a lot more time to think about other things. Whereas before I was really, my purpose was there and I would spend part, you know, much smaller amount of time at lead hub and the majority of the time at, at champion. And then when that went away and you have all this time, well, what do you do? Yeah. You have a lot more time to think you had your, you know, and I was at that point just kind of more filled with passion and my purpose wasn't as clear. So yeah. I, there were a lot of changes in our country. There were, there were a lot of things happening macro level in the world that, you know, it really impacted me. Did you see any of that coming or did you anticipate that when the transaction closed, which was the last day of 2020, when the transaction closed and you were, you know, made whole on your investment, for lack of a better term, you did very, very well in the transaction. Did you assume things would get easier and that you would have, all these additional resources and new team members, or were you surprised by disappointment? Were you surprised by anxiety? What was that like? I, I was, I was, I was surprised by how, I guess 
in your mind, you have these goals and you have these moments where you, you plan for, and it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to build champion up and I'm going to sell it for my goal. I was like, I've mentioned, I was a Michael Jordan fanatic. I always use the number 23 wherever I could fit it in. I mean, I'd be at the roulette wheel and put it on 23. Um, that, that was just kind of one of those things for me. And that was my walk away number. And they gave it to me. They, I had earned it, but they, they offered it and we came to an agreement. That's 23 million for the children listening today, just to clarify. Sorry. 20, 23 million. And, and so in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I did it. This is it. What's, what's next? And I had no clue how quickly I would learn that money is not what brings me joy and happiness. Right. Um, it, it made things more complicated. And I had more time to focus on macro level stuff. And, you know, the politics, geopolitics changing, these new events, the now with the war in Ukraine and I, I with the economy starting to, to fall apart, I, I really found myself studying the macro and it stressed me to the gills. Right. And how did you... Or are you recovering from that, finding your purpose, getting some clarity and happiness? What are you doing to work on that? Because this wasn't that long ago. I mean, we're talking less than 18 months ago that you're, you're in the middle of this right now. So share with me what's going on. Yeah, so it was a uh, it was an interesting journey these last 18 months. I've, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I've, I've definitely have gone through a roller coaster where some days were tens and the next day out of nowhere, I'd have like a two, like I would yeah. feel so depressed, more anxiety than I had ever felt. And I just didn't understand what was going on with me. Um, it, it was tough. It was a, it was, there were some real dark moments and I can honestly say that some of my darkest moments came after selling champion. Um, I fortunately have a lot of great friends that I served with in the military. I had some people I felt comfortable with sharing some of the things that were bothering me and, and how I, I felt lost. And I was invited to go on a plant medicine retreat and ended up, I, I kind of blew it off for a little bit because I was honestly, I was really nervous about it. And after decided to go. I just kind of went all in and said, Hey, I need to unplug for a little bit. I need to go take care of myself. I need to go do something for me. And, and I went on it and I've been a, a changed man ever since. What was it about the process or the experience at the retreat that changed how you have felt and your perspective on yourself and your time? Yeah. So I hate to say this and I hate to uh, talk about myself like this, but, um, you know, I went through a lot of trauma in my childhood and then going through the military and spec ops, you know, you, you get these, you know, this trauma and this stress and you just kind of bury it. And I never knew how to talk about it, never knew how to work through it and purge out the negative. I, I just kind of always buried it and, and work through it and just, keep going. It's, it's okay. Suck it up. And 
And so when I, I got to experience and, and what I'm talking about is it's called ayahuasca. Um, I went there thinking like a victim. I, I literally, I didn't realize it, how my mind had been trained to approach many things like a victim, but I did. And I went with the intention of getting over that stuff, some stuff that happened when I was a kid, some of the stuff from combat experience or whatever, things people did to me, you know, right? That, that was the way I looked at it. It was someone else's fault and it was something someone did to me. And it was totally different than that. Um, I got to see a lot of the things that I did. I, I saw my ego up close and personal. Um, and I, I'm not going to say it was scary because it was really beautiful for me, but it was very intense. And I saw some things that I did that I had never made peace with. And those were the things that were really holding me back and causing me the most pain and the most grief and anguish. And I finally forgave myself for some some of my sins, some of the things that I did um, that I couldn't, you know, that I always said it was okay because it was me. I did that because I can do that because I'm Ben Hubbard. I am, you know, my ego would rationalize it. And, and finally letting go and talking to people about it, talking to my wife about it, talking to my family about it, you know, apologizing for, for these things, praying about it and getting right with God. Um, it was like the weight of the world off my back. Yeah. What is it like? You mentioned confronting your ego as that was a, a moment and an experience. How do you confront your ego today? And what does that relationship with your ego look like? Well, so for the first 43 years of my life, I, I will say I lived with my ego doing a lot of the talking, a lot of the leading, a lot of the um, direction that I would follow was very ego driven. I didn't realize it. And, and combining that with a ton of passion can be a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't coming from a place of purpose. I wasn't coming from a true place of servant leadership. There was always an angle there for me, for my benefit. Right. And recently, since I became aware of it and have learned about how brutal my ego had led me and the things that, um, that I did because of it. Um, I started studying a lot of, uh, Ryan Holiday's work, uh, ego is the enemy. A lot of, a lot of his work is, is just beautiful. Um, and, and also my, my prayer life, um, I have to pray about it every day because it's still there. There are yeah. times where, it pops up and reminds me that that it's not something that just is going to go away without work. Um, and, and so I've I've been attacking it. I've been um, like I had mentioned, I was so focused on the macro for for a period of time. Um, I dialed it into the micro, 
world, the things that I can really control and, and focus my time and energy on, my team at Lead Hub, the people here, the vibe here, the vision here, the energy here, my family, my wife, my daughter, my mood, my health, the things that I can directly control, that's what I'm putting my energy and focus on now. And, and also learning, being a student. I had a period of time for whatever reason, I, I, was, I just kept winning, kept winning. And I tripped myself into believing, oh, it's just because I'm awesome. I mean, everyone looks smart in a bull market, right? Everyone's winning when everything's right. going well. It's how do you do when things are tough? And, and how can you get back to that humble, purpose-driven life? And, and so that's, that's where I've evolved to. Um, and it's been, it's been the biggest game changer for me. I've been able to focus in on veteran organizations where, you know, a lot of these guys that are battling the demons of war, they're not the type of guys that ask for help. And so how do we get in front of them? How can we uh, help those guys transition out of the military and become successful you know, whether it be employees, business owners, and just successful people for their families and in their community, because they all have so much to add value-wise to this world. Um, but it, it can be a dark place transitioning out of the military, especially when politics are kind of reigning king. And some of these guys couldn't care less about the politics. They're, they're a true serve, the military and servant leaders. And you know, I, I've been able to connect with more of them and serve and help and assist in ways that, that I can help with and things that align with my strengths and, and my daily routine. So with this newfound perspective and clarity, how are you channeling that energy toward Lead Hub and what is your vision with Lead Hub? Yeah, so I think the part of the struggles I had early on was I wasn't very present in the moment. Like I just, I would be in meetings and I would be thinking about everything else that I had to do that day. I couldn't have, I didn't have space between my thoughts. It was just on overdrive. And, and so the first thing I wanted to achieve here was to take a step back, look at the work Aaron and Ryan had built, so that the other two owners, and identify where I can make the biggest impact and slowly get integrated because I tend to jump in like a cannonball, you know, and yeah. I'm as subtle as a hurricane sometimes. And so... I really wanted to, to bring a, a great vibe, a great energy, but do it in a very careful, cautious, and very professional way, because this is a much different environment than, than Champion AC. Uh, the, you know, the staff, the team, it, it's just a different employee. And so yeah. I wanted to ensure that I didn't clog up the lanes. I, I didn't disrespect our brand managers by going around them and communicating with clients. I wanted to make sure I stuck with the social norms and, and did it in a way with class and clarity. 
where do you see yourself taking the organization? Yeah, so LeadHub really isn't a marketing agency. I, I think we're more of like a marketing partner for mm -hmm. the trades. Yeah. We don't just fulfill tasks. Um, we want to enhance and optimize our clients and partners' operations. We were born in the trades, so we really like to get a good understanding of our partners' operations. We want to know their strengths. We want to know their technicians, the type of calls they want to run. We want to know the type of calls they don't want because no two companies are different, just like no two blades of grass are the same. There are companies that I'll talk to a, a client in Dallas that'll be completely different than someone in California. And they're looking for different things. So we want to optimize the experience and be a true partner because we're force multipliers. That's what LeadHub is. We want to be a force multiplier for our partners in the trades. And if we effectively do that, we'll become an authority will become the authority on the marketing side. Can you describe what force multiplier would mean for a contractor? So the way I would describe it is we make their team abundantly better by filling in the gaps where they, they might struggle with using Titan to its fullest. Maybe they're a service Titan client that doesn't click the green bubble for those that, that understand what I'm talking about. You're not, you know, classifying calls properly. So you're not really tracking your marketing spend as effectively. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard the saying, I know 50% of my marketing's working. I just don't know it. 50% attribution is very tough. So we like to get down and dirty and really marry the operations with the marketing. And if you're not studying invoice data, invoice history, and understanding even zip code analysis, having what we call the GPS, the geo profitability score, to where we truly understand the best calls for the right technician for, you know, in the right zip codes in the right areas. Um, so we get very detailed into our clients' um, software. Uh, we want to ensure that they're utilizing it to its fullest. So that's why we've become a, a service Titan partner and, and really understand their pain points, because if we can help them achieve, you know, those small, sometimes more technical issues, then they're going to run 10 times faster and they might run another hundred calls in their top zips. Um, and, and so that's the way I view being a for, force multiplier, very similar to the way the, a combat controller is a force multiplier on the battlefield. We make a five-man team feel like a hundred-man team, and we want to do the same exact thing for our partners in the trades. I would normally end this right here because that's such a walk-off statement, but I want to go back to the, this is my final question, I want to go back to the uh, the exit at champion and i want to be respectful in a, the way i approach this question um there are a lot of people listening today who are in their late 30s early 40s and, you know age doesn't even matter there are a lot of people listening who are wondering is this the time are multiples at an all-time high am i going to be leaving a lot of money on the table what's it look like to work with a bigger team and to have a partner or to have a boss for the first time 
any perspective or advice you can give to those who are just not sure if this is the time or not? Well, as mentioned, a lot's changed in the last 18 months. Interest rates have changed. I'm not up on the multiples. Um, I think every owner is different. I think every owner is in a different place. Um, I, I do think the trades have a much better, um, we'll call it runway than many other industries in our American economy. So I think it really just depends on the, the individual and the company, because if, if your instincts and your gut is telling you it's time and you're getting the right offer that makes sense, then I believe it's time. Um, but if, if you feel it's like, you know, using that gut instinct when taking tests and knowing when, hey, my first instinct was C on this, so I'm just going to go with it because the majority of the time that ends up being a better guess. If you don't know and have your walk away number and, and if you haven't put in the time to really understand that exit and what you need to be comfortable to reach your goals, I think there, there's a calculus there that you want to have done prior to making that decision um, because it's not going to go the way you expect. There are going to be curveballs. The quality of earnings audits don't always go the same. And so it, it also depends on that buyer-client uh, relationship. Um, if there is that alignment where you're going to have the opportunity to work with the team and it's something that you want to be doing, I, I do think there are great companies and great organizations out there buying. And I do think it's a great time to buy, but it'd be dishonest for me to pretend like I can see what's going to happen over the next five years in this, in the trades, because there, there are so many things that, that could change on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lean into a comment that Dave Geiger of Horizon said, and he said, regardless of the multiples, home service companies are going to be a long, a good long-term investment. Um, I said, I have my last questions. I have, I have one more for contractors who want to learn about lead hub. Um, one, are you bringing on new clients? And two, how would they go about getting in touch with you? Yeah, so visit leadhub.net. Um, check out our website. It's a pretty expansive website. We offer free consultations. So we, we will happily have a discovery call to see if we're a right fit for the client. Um, we do have some exclusivity constraints in certain markets where we can't work with everyone depending on you know how how we're positioned in in that market but um, we, we're absolutely looking for uh, new partners to work with and and we want to be a force multiplier in the space so we're absolutely looking to grow this episode like all episodes is brought to you by contractor commerce plug and play online stores for contractors we see a future where every contractor has an online store.